And so we find ourselves here in Mark chapter 6, which is the passage we'll be presenting and studying tonight as well. Uh, During the summer, we've been having a communion service uh, once a month, every last Sunday of the month. Uh, We've been celebrating the sacrament together and then uh, enjoying our potluck afterwards. So we'll be doing that tonight. So uh, those of you who are here this morning who will be in attendance tonight, you'll get to hear the same message twice. (laughs) But that's not a bad thing um, from hearing from God's Word. So just to catch you up a little bit on where we are in the book of Mark, since you haven't been enjoying the Bible study uh, with us through Mark, uh, Mark is one of the earliest Gospels that was written, perhaps the earliest Uh, The author is John Mark. He is a cousin of Barnabas. He was a companion on Paul's first missionary journey. Well, at least part of it. He left early, and Paul wasn't very happy with that. Um, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas decided to go on their second missionary journey, when Barnabas wanted Mark to come with, Paul said, no way. I don't want him to come with us. Later, Paul and Mark were able to reconcile And we see that as a beautiful uh, display of the gospel in the two of their lives. Uh, Mark was a friend of Peter, and it is believed that much of Mark's gospel is Peter's account of the life of Jesus. It is the shortest of the gospels, only 16 chapters. It is very fast-paced. Mark is not concerned with a lot of uh, dialogue. He is concerned with action. He uses the words and and immediately very often in his gospel. The gospel itself is divided into two main sections. Uh, Chapters 1 through 8, Mark is asking this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And that section culminates with Peter's confession of Christ. And when he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. From that point on, Mark asks the question, What has the Messiah come to do? Because immediately when Peter confesses Christ, Jesus admits or confesses that he came so that he might die. And he he predicts his death three times in the last several chapters of Mark. So where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 6 is in that first section. We're asking the question, who is Jesus? The disciples, the people, the crowds, they're not sure at this point who this Jesus is. They're seeing a demonstration of who he is. Uh, the last few stories, if you flip back in your Bible, uh, are stories of faith. Uh, a couple of stories before this, we see Jesus healing uh, the daughter of a synagogue leader by the name of Jairus. And on the way, while he's going to do that, uh, a woman comes to him, touches the hem of his garment, and is healed of chronic bleeding that she has had for her, uh, a majority of her life. And the reason that he heals them is because of their faith, their faith that, that uh, they display. That's immediately followed up by a story where Jesus visits his hometown of Nazareth. And he is amazed, not by their faith, but by their unbelief. And he chooses, deliberately chooses, not to perform miracles there because of their lack of faith. Uh, From there, he sends out his disciples on uh, one of their missionary journeys. He gives them power, and he commands them to act in faith, to trust what God is doing. And as we pick up our passage this morning, uh, the disciples are returning from that journey 
They're excited because of what they've seen, uh, but they're exhausted. They are really tired. Um, And so here we pick up with the feeding of the 5,000. This miracle, it's a pretty familiar one. And one of the reasons it's familiar is because it's one of the few miracles that we see of Jesus that appears in all four Gospels. It appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, The other miracle of Jesus that appears in all four Gospels is the resurrection. Um, So this is a very familiar uh, one that uh, the Gospel writers all hone in on. Through this miracle, Jesus teaches his disciples about faith. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, about faith. Jesus is a person who requires you to exercise faith in a relationship with him. So this morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at what faith is. We're going to look at how faith displays itself, particularly in this miracle, and how we apply faith to our own lives. So what is faith? How does faith display itself? And then how do we apply faith to our own lives? So if I were to ask you the question, what is faith? Many of you may turn immediately in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Or maybe you would quote that verse because it's a familiar one. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I posed this question to our Bible study a couple of weeks ago as we were looking at the story of of Jairus and his daughter and of this woman with the chronic bleeding where Jesus says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And as we were wrestling with this definition, uh, we realized that faith is one of those hard words to define. It's one of those things that you know it when you see it, but it's hard to put words to it sometimes. Uh, it's, sometimes it's easier to come up with synonyms of it. It's, it's believing. It, it's a trusting. That's what faith is. Um, one of the things we see in our passage this morning is that faith is the ability to look beyond your current circumstances. You know, the disciples were exhausted from this missionary journey that they had just went on. They were tired of being with people. Jesus had promised them that they were going to get some much-needed R&R. But instead, they were stuck with a crowd of demanding people who were pressing in to Jesus. The disciples just wanted relief, but instead they had a crowd of people to deal with. Recently, we finished up a renovation project of our house in Spring Hill. We had bought a house back in, I think it was the end of November, beginning of December. Uh, The timeline is a little fuzzy right now uh, because of the amount of effort that went into renovating our house. Uh, We thought that it would be done in about two months. Uh, When people asked when we'd get in our house, I told them probably about Easter. And uh, I thought that I was being gracious at that point. Well, Easter came and went, and we weren't anywhere close to getting into our house. So about three weeks ago, we finally moved in. Um, But we had to do some major renovations to a house that was built in 1950 and uh, was not built for a family uh, with uh, a husband and a wife and four small children. So we had to open it up a little bit, uh, tear down some walls, take out some old carpet, refinish hardwoods, replace all the windows, put in uh, heating and air conditioning that had never been in the house. Um, It was a big project. Um, While we were going through it, We could not see the end of it. Uh, Every time that I walked through the house, I just felt, you know what, this is never going to get done. Um, I just wanted relief. My wife uh, is the visionary, and she could see 
Uh, she could see the end result, and she told me, it's going to be great. Just wait for it. Um, but I struggled. I was like the disciples. I couldn't see the end while I was going through the middle of it. She had more faith than I did. Uh, when I am not demonstrating faith, I look around at the things that are going on in my life, the things that I'm going through, and I long for some way to escape. I long for some sort of rescue. And this is what the disciples wanted. They wanted to dismiss the crowd. They wanted to send them on their way, not deal, wanting to deal with the responsibility of feeding this many people. The crowd was too great. Their needs were too big. It was all too much for the disciples. They just wanted it to go away. They just wanted it to go away. This was not faith. What did Jesus want? He wanted to call his disciples to that faith. And so he tells them, you give them something to eat. He wanted his disciples to have compassion. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. He wanted his disciples to see these people in their need and to do something about it. He says, you feed them. And the reply from the disciples was pretty discouraging. If they were around today, they may be saying something like this. They may be saying, you know, what do you want us to do, Jesus? Should we go spend a million dollars of the money that we don't have to get these people a meal catered in this desolate area? Um, come on, Jesus, this can't be realistic. We cannot afford to feed all of these people. The disciples thought they had a problem of resources, but that wasn't their problem. They had with them the person who literally speaks things into being out of nothing. So their problem wasn't resources. Their problem was a lack of faith. Their problem was a lack of faith. The disciples find two, uh, two fish and five loaves of bread. That's what they have to work with. They bring it to Jesus. Jesus tells everybody to sit down in groups on the nice green grass. He blesses the meal. He breaks the bread and he hands it out. And it keeps going and going and going and going. And when it's all said and done, the disciples are left just shaking their heads. Everyone eats. Everyone's full. Twelve baskets full of food are left over. So what's the lesson in this miracle for the disciples? He teaches them that he cares less about giving them what they want and more about giving them what they need. In the moment, the disciples were acting self-centered. They were acting out of unbelief. And what Jesus is doing is calling them to faith. They wanted rest. They wanted people to go away. They wanted people to take responsibility for themselves. But Jesus knew what his disciples really needed, what they really needed to understand and to exercise an assurance of things hoped for and a certainty and a conviction of things not seen. You know, faith is one of those things that it's almost easier to define by how it displays itself. How do we see faith in action? Uh, Jesus takes two opportunities in this passage to draw out faith in the disciples. He takes two opportunities to show his disciples what faith is like. And like us today, um, the disciples learn from their mistakes. 
This is how the disciples learned about faith on that day. So what does faith look like? What does faith look like based on this miracle? Faith displays itself by having compassion on others when all you want to do is send them away. Faith displays itself by having compassion on other people when all you want to do is simply to send them away. Uh, The act of compassion itself, the very act of compassion is an act of faith. Because compassion is caring for the needs of others and trusting that God has the ability to meet your own needs. Because we all have needs, right? We all do. So compassion is trusting that God will provide for your own needs while you can provide for the needs of others. Um, I have a couple of cousins. Uh, Their names are Dan and Allison. Uh, They are huge advocates for adoption and foster care. Uh, They spent years being uh, an emergency foster home for kids who were in dire situation that they would receive a phone call and say, we've got a couple of kids uh, who need uh, out of their situation now. Uh, Can you come? Can you come and pick them up? And they would say, yes, we can. (laughs) They would not be prepared. They would be doing other things, but that was what they would do. They would grab these kids and uh, get them into a safe environment. Uh, A couple of years ago, they adopted a boy. Uh, His name is Gil. Uh, who had severe Down's syndrome. Uh, They made a conscious choice to care for the many needs of this sweet little boy, trusting that God had the ability to meet their own needs. Not long after Gil graced their family with his presence, God called him home. It was a very difficult time for Dan and Allison and for their family. A lot of unanswered questions of, God, why would you do this? Um, God, we don't understand. Um, But it was not a time that shook their faith. Actually, it was a time that strengthened their faith. And that displayed itself in this way. Recently, Dan and Allison brought a new daughter into their family. And like Gil, she is adopted. And just like Gil... He also has downs, or she also has downs. The question is, why would this family do this all over again? Especially based on what happened in the past. Because their faith displays itself in compassion. They trust that God will meet their needs as they reach out to meet the needs of others. You know, the disciples in this situation, they didn't respond in faith. Unfortunately, they responded in unbelief. They wanted to send the crowds away, but Jesus said, you feed them. You feed them. The crowd was fed, but it wasn't through the faith of the disciples. It wasn't through their faith that displayed itself through compassion. It was through the compassion of Jesus, who looked on these people, as Mark says, as though they were sheep without a shepherd. And he fed them. So faith displays itself through compassion. Faith also displays itself in trusting the ability of Jesus to provide even when the situation or the circumstances seem impossible. In reality, how were these 12 men? These 12 men who had been with Jesus for a while, 
who were dependent on other people and the generosity of others for their food, who didn't have a place to lay their head, um, how were these 12 men expected to feed 5,000? And this is just the men, as we know from reading other Gospels. There were women and children there as well. So this is thousands and thousands of people. How in the world were these 12 men able to do this? You know, Jesus wasn't asking them to come up with some amazing technique or strategy for for feeding a multitude. What he was simply doing here is asking them to exercise faith. If you read previously in Mark, you can see what Jesus has done so far to reveal himself. As people are asking this question, who is Jesus? He's revealing himself more and more. Recently, he calmed a storm showing that he had power over all of creation. He drove out a multitude of demons. He is constantly healing droves and droves of sick people. He even raised a girl from the dead. Literally, there is nothing that Jesus can't do. And he has displayed this to his disciples. They've had a front row seat. They have seen this. But yet they still responded in unbelief. As we look back, even in the Bible, as we look at the Old Testament and the stories that God has shared with us, constantly we see stories of faith where man's weakness is displayed so that the power of God can be made known. We see God turning Abraham, the old man with no children, into a mighty nation. Of Gideon and 300 men, defeating the vast army of Midian with torches and clay pots and trumpets. We see David defeating the giant Goliath with a sling and a stone. Of Esther halting the genocide of the Jews by daring to approach the king. Of Paul, even later on, the greatest missionary who ever lived, who was the epitome of weakness. And he wrote this to the Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness, with weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God uses weakness to display His power. Unfortunately, the story of the disciples is not in this list of people who displayed great faith at times of weakness. There were times later on when they would Um, But this is not one of them, unfortunately. The disciples wanted their superficial needs to be met. But Jesus desired to do something much more substantial in their lives. The disciples were saying, send these people away. I want to rest. I need a break. Jesus responded by teaching them about faith and compassion and his power that is made perfect in weakness. The disciples wanted a quick fix to a minor problem. Jesus wanted a substantial solution to their biggest issue, which is their hearts. 
Imagine what the disciples would have missed out on if Jesus would have sent the crowd away. If Jesus would have done what they had asked. I know that they... um, This is just conjecture. Obviously, we don't have um, the actual scenario here. But what would they have missed out on? Obviously, they would have missed out on the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. They would have missed out on a deeper, more robust understanding of who Jesus is. They would not have known his provision, nor would they have put two and two together when he declared himself to be the bread of life. They would have gotten the rest that they were wanting, but their hearts would have remained the same. Now that they saw the feeding of the 5,000, their faith was strengthened, and they were becoming more and more like Jesus. And God does very similar things in our own lives when we believe that God will take the five loaves and the two fishes that we have to offer, this weakness that we have, And he will use it to display his power in our own impossible circumstances. So the question is then, how do we apply faith to life? How do we apply faith to our own lives? I don't know you all very well yet. I'm looking forward to um, deepening our relationship with one another as sister churches. But I know that if you're anything like me, you often find yourself in similar situations to the disciples. We find ourselves in situations on a daily basis similar to what the disciples are experiencing here. Maybe not on such a grand scale where God asks us to feed 5,000 people. But we find ourselves in circumstances that we don't want to be in. Positions that we would rather um, be rescued out of predicaments that the easy thing for us to do is to cry out to God and say, take this away from me. I don't want to deal with this. But God often says to us, you feed them. And what God means when he does this is this. He says, I'm not going to take this away from you immediately. Because if I do, your heart won't be changed. If I do, you won't see a greater display of my power. Instead, I'm going to walk through this with you. And I'm going to have you give to me your weakness. And I'm going to display my strength. We'll walk through this together. And through it, you will become more like my son. You'll become more like Jesus. As you know, God is planting a church in Spring Hill. And planting a church is unlike anything I have ever done in my life. Um, I'll be honest, I constantly feel overwhelmed. I constantly feel anxious about small details, about large details. Um, And when I get overwhelmed and anxious, um, I often get forgetful. Which is why for the last two weeks, uh, my Bible has not been with me. <laughs> Instead, my Bible has been here. <laughs> because last week, I forgot the Bible, uh, my Bible, on top of the roof of my car as we drove away. And some kind and gracious soul here from Zion found it, picked it up, and brought it back. So, <laughs> um, but that is uh, the epitome of my weakness, uh, of my feeling overwhelmed and anxious. 
And in, that, in those situations, my knee-jerk response is to say to God, fix this, or please, God, take this away. Uh, right now, we are using uh, Spring Hill Academy Preschool for our Bible study. And it's been a great location for us. Uh, a member at Parish Presbyterian Church uh, owns the preschool and has been giving it to us rent-free. And we are so gracious, or so grateful to him for his graciousness. Um, it's been great for our kids because there's a, a playground that's right outside. Uh, all, the, uh, all the equipment there, all the tables and chairs are kid-sized. Uh, so it's great for them. Uh, it's a little bit difficult for adults because we've got to bring in all the chairs and the tables that are adult-sized. Um, sometimes it can be a little distracting with all the ABCs and all the pictures that are on the wall. Um, but it's a, it's a great space for us. Uh, but as we look forward to launching weekly worship, uh, we've been looking uh, to see if there's other space that would, might be maybe a little bit more conducive for worship. Maybe a little less distracting. Um, maybe a, a better spot for adults. Maybe more aesthetically pleasing. Um, and it seems that every place that we're approaching right now uh, the door has been shutting in our face. Uh, it's been frustrating. Um, rental space in Spring Hill is not cheap right now. Uh, it's very expensive. Um, when I was in church planter training, I heard a story about a church plant in Florida that received a very generous donation of $20 million and a piece of property to build a church. Uh, it was meant to be encouraging, <laughs> But instead, it was really discouraging. <laughs> um, and why won't that happen to us? Oh, that would be amazing. Um, when I get concerned about where we should worship as a church and have the desire to, to be in a place that is beautiful or just that perfect spot in Spring Hill, I come to God like the disciples and I say, God, just give us a place where we can worship. Give us that $20 million and attract a, a land so that we can have this amazing church. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. And that's frustrating. Every place that we go to, it seems like the door has been closed. Um, nothing seems to be panning out. I don't know exactly why. Uh, but I know this. That through it, God is developing my character. And he's working on my heart. I'm being called to exercise patience. And patience tend to make us tends to make us more like Jesus, doesn't it? I would love to see Spring Hill Presbyterian Church planted quickly and effortlessly. Instead, God is using the slow and sometimes arduous process to develop something in me. He's calling me to faith. And in the process, he is making me more into the image of his son. And it's not just about the church plant. He's doing that in every aspect of my life, and I know he's doing that in every aspect of your life. We learn more and more about who God is as we go through these difficult situations in our lives. I know that there are things that keep you up at night that you think about whenever you have a spare moment. The things that you have that you would wish that would simply just disappear like the crowd of 5,000 that would the disciples wish to just leave. Sometimes in our lives, God does that. He gives us the quick fix, but often he does not. Instead, he walks the journey with us 
because he is making us and molding us more and more into the image of his son. He's giving us what we need rather than doing for us what we want. And in the end, wouldn't you rather want, instead of a quick and easy fix to all your problems, wouldn't you want a deeper and more abiding faith in Christ? Wouldn't you really want a deeper relationship with him? So what Jesus gives his disciples is this. He gives them himself. Not a quick fix, not a solution to their seemingly insignificant problems. He gives them himself. God's desire isn't to provide this quick fixes to the problems that we face so that we can live a carefree life. God's desire is for us to become more and more molded into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, we are called to run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Exercising faith, having this assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen may be difficult, and it is. But the reason that we can have assurance of things that we hope for is because of what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews 12 goes on to say that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, he despised its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If faith displays itself in showing compassion, then Jesus is truly the author and perfecter of our faith. His whole life displayed a care for others while setting aside his own personal needs. In the greatest act of compassion, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, as Hebrews says. Jesus cared for your needs. He cared for my needs by bearing our sins on the cross. He set aside his own need of self-protection, his own desire for self-preservation, and he willingly endured the utter wrath of God. Jesus gave completely of himself so that we might have life. The feeding of the 5,000 was actually a preview of the cross. In John 6, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Just as Jesus broke the bread and gave it to those 5,000 so that they might, be eat, might eat and be satisfied, so the body of Jesus Christ was broken. The body of the bread of life was broken and given to those who might have faith so that they might be redeemed. So if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ... Our call this morning is to exercise faith. We're faced with so many opportunities every day to to display faith. Will we trust God to provide our needs so that we can care for the needs of others? Will we trust God to do that? Will we trust him to display his power in our weakness? Will you trust God to make you more and more like Christ? If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I urge you to come to him in faith. Nowhere else can we be assured of the things that we hope for. Nowhere else can we be certain of the things that we do not see. Come to Jesus. When Jesus, the bread of life, gave himself for us, he made the very things that we hope for, he made them absolutely sure.
Revelation chapter 21 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God tells us, Behold, I am making all things new. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the, in the heavenly places, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. There will be no need of lamp or of sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Through the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, these things that we do not see, these things that we do not hope for, are absolutely sure. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we admit that we often come to you like the disciples, self-centered and unbelieving. Even though that we have seen your goodness and we have seen the miracles that you perform, Father, we often end, end up in unbelief. I pray that you would call us to faith, that we would have an assurance that we would have a certainty, that we would trust and believe in, in, in these things that we do not see, in these things that we hope for, knowing that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, when we are displaying these times of unbelief in our lives, I pray that you would graciously call us back. And we admit that oftentimes this comes through our mistakes these comes, this comes through trials and heartache. I pray that we would not seek the quick fix, but instead that we would walk with you, knowing that in our weakness you are strong, and that through our weakness your power is displayed. I pray that more and more that we would desire for you to mold us into the image of Jesus. Father, work in our hearts, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.